We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Thanks for listening to the show. Lara and I are here today in the studio, and we've got a very old friend of mine from Canada, um, from my college days, that is joining us today. Her name is Megan Rivas. And uh, true and funny little side note, I used to do, um, I used to have Star Trek all-nighters with her husband and her husband's brother. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, hey, everybody. That's, <laughs> that's not how I know Megan, actually. She was... Uh, the best friend of my, um, c- kind of my college roommate, the the family that I lived with during college had a daughter and she became a very good friend of mine and Megan was her friend. So that's how we all know each other. Right. Megan, um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll launch into your story? Sure. Um, my name is Megan and I'm going to be 31 actually in two weeks. And it's true. I live in, um, in Regina and uh, I have an amazing husband named Justin. We've been married 10 years, which yes, if you do the math, we were just babies when we got married. And uh, we have a five-year-old son who we've adopted and then we're actually fostering a two one-year-olds at the moment so that being a mom of three under five is kind of what consumes my life right now um but it is a a good life but it's what keeps me busy Mm -hmm. (laughs) so tell us it you know you've you've adopted Mm -hmm. a child and you have two foster kids Tell us how you came to that eventuality in motherhood. Sure. Um, It's one of those things, to be honest, that um, is like the most amazing journey, uh, but also the hardest and not one that if you would ask me 10 years ago that I would have ever been able to tell you, this is what my life's going to look like. It's not at all. And like I said, I got um, married 10 years ago. I was actually the opposite of high school sweethearts with my husband. He was in love with me for five years and I did not like him whatsoever. Um, But something did shift in me. So we grew up together and something shifted in me around 18 where it's sort of like a blindfold came off and he actually was this amazing guy that I'd been missing out on. So we got married at 20 and, um, and I was just working as a teacher assistant at the time. And it was sort of, um, I was one of those people that I'm finding there are a certain group of us that if you ask me like what I wanted to do with my life, um, I wanted to be a stay at home mom. That is what I wanted to do. And so the plan was that we would work for a couple of years. And um, and then about I was we'd been married a couple of years, almost um, just over two. And I was almost 23. And we decided that um, that it was felt like the right time to start trying. And um, my best friend who you lived with, who you alluded to earlier, had just had her mm-hmm. first little guy. And it just felt like, yeah, this is kind of the time because I wanted lots of kids. I thought this is a good time um, to start trying. And so we did. And I never, ever had any um, inkling that life would not go as perfect as you have when you plan it, right? And mm-hmm. so a couple months in, I remember the very first month I was, I thought for sure I was pregnant and felt like I had all these symptoms. And I had a girlfriend who was getting married in about six months and we, I was her bridesmaid and we were going um, bridesmaid dress shopping. And I actually bought my dress like five sizes bigger because <laughs> I was like, I'm pregnant, you know, like for sure I am. And, uh, and so then sure enough, I wasn't that first month. And so uh, I didn't think too much about the dress, but a couple more months go by, about three, and all of a sudden this fear started to seep in me. Now, anybody who's actually tried for a child, three months is not a long time at all. Um, yeah. But when you... It feels like it. Right. And we had been doing natural family planning, actually, I should say, for about eight months before that. So I was pretty like familiar with my body and when I was ovulating and like it wasn't, um, there was just an awareness there. So it was like things should be working is what I felt. But three Mm -hmm. months go by and uh, it's not happening. And then um, six months go by. 
And that's where something sort of shifted in me. I didn't talk about it. There were people who knew we were trying, but that's where I realized like a fear really started to grip me, but not one that I even consciously realized, except that I started every month to get more depressed and like a more consuming, like this isn't happening. And I would say the next six months after that were very, very dark. And, um, I woke up one time in the night, um, there, my faith, I grew up in a faith-based home and it was pretty important part of my life. Um, and I remember um, becoming like a little bit more shut off. Well, just emotionally, I'm trying and I wasn't talking to anybody about this fear that this wasn't happening. And it was all in like inward. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I and I had the scripture verse run through my head that um, I grew up hearing about and it was like, for I know that plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future and that just played in my head and as soon as that played in my head this anger came out of me and it was like you do not have good plans for me look what you're doing to my life and it was the first time where I really came face to face with this isn't happening and um and I'm and I'm and I'm pretty angry and in that moment instead of doing something about it it just began to sort of eat at me from the inside. And when you've got strong emotion like that going on, um, it doesn't go away. It's going mm-hmm. to explode. And so, um, and that's what happened. Uh, I, we were, uh, for Christmas, actually, um, my grandparents lived in Arizona. So every few years we'd go and visit them. So my parents and, and my brother, who you talked about him and his wife were there. And I went with Justin and we were only supposed to go for a few days and for whatever reason. And the thing was, I was starting to not really recognize myself. I was anxious. I, um, I was rea- overreacting to situations. And again, this wasn't something that I really knew was affecting me at that time to the depth that it was or that other people knew what was really going on and Justin and I like Justin's Mr. like optimism and so he too wasn't willing to face that anything was wrong or going on it was just like it'll happen it'll happen but but we were getting close to that year mark and I just felt like something's wrong. I should also say that Justin had an older, has an older brother and him and his wife had been trying for about two years previous to when we started trying and they could not get pregnant. And so it did was, you, before this even started, did you feel like that was going to be an issue for you? That was a possibility? I, sh- I should have, like, honestly, in thinking it through, I should have and I didn't. I actually... Mm-hmm thought it was like I felt bad for them but I thought it was like an isolated event they hadn't been tested quite at that point and so or when we had first started trying and so it didn't sink in as a reality of like this could be a family problem yeah. and but by that two year mark coming around that time they had and and um and it did it was his brother and so all of a sudden this reality of like um wow this this could actually be something and so when we were in Arizona for that Christmas um I did explode all this emotion (laughs) came out of me I just fell apart and I was angry I was so angry in my life and um and I had said that faith was a big part of me I was even specifically angry at God I had this um I wouldn't have realized it but I had this thought like this thinking that like I was a good girl I lived a good life life Mm -hmm. should like bad things don't happen to good people. And if you would have said that to me, I would have said, no, that's crazy. I knew that. But subconsciously that was, and for me, what was difficult was this wasn't just um, a little thing of like, well, we can't, we can't have kids. This was my whole future. Like it was, it was devastating of like, what do I do with my life? Like it was a bigger issue. And so when I fell apart and then my family then really knew like, Hey, this is going on. And and they knew him. I was like, I was just one of those people grew up, loved kids, love, like they knew this was going to hit me on a level that it was going to either I was going to get back up or I wasn't. And I feel like when all that emotion came out, um, that was a point where I had to make a decision of this was going to destroy me. And that was honestly the path I was heading even for Justin and I, he's a, if he can't fix it, um, he will, uh, you know, isolate. And Mm -hmm. so I also felt alone. 
And, uh, and even though I felt like something was wrong, he wasn't quite at that point yet. And so we'd only been married a couple of years. We're still kids. Like I was only 23 at this point, right? And that's infertility is a tough thing to walk through at any point in your life. But 23, green to the world, like it was, it was tough. And so anyways, um, I, after that took, it was month at a time um, where something shifted in me. And I alluded that my faith was important at that point. It was like either like I was turning my back on God for good, or he was the only thing that was going to help me through this. And I'd had enough experiences in my life that led me to want him to be a part of it. And so that's a lot of in those really dark moments. I mean, it was it was years of a process of um, every month. Um, at this point, we hadn't been tested. Uh, we weren't ju Justin wasn't ready at that point and I had to respect that at just that year point and so for that next year it was still just living in hope of every month but I mean I look back there was some devastating times I remember like taking a test and bleeding on the stick right? mm -hmm. just as I take the test like there's there's some dark memories of yeah. um that time and so two years go by and then at that point um we did decide to do some testing. I had some cysts and things as a teenager. I wasn't unfamiliar with a gynecologist just because I'd had some issues. So to be honest, I was expecting, uh, even though Justin's brother uh, was um, the one that was affected in their relationship, I, I actually thought for sure it must be me. Uh, but I went through all those tests, all the hormonal tests and the dye test that's not pleasant like we did kind of as far as we could go and it came back that I was healthy but it came back that Justin had a low sperm count and and not even like a little low like very low um but everything worked like everything you just had a really mm -hmm. low sperm count and for no um for no apparent reason and so when you come to that point um there isn't a whole lot that we could do. And as a couple, when you get that kind of news, um, it was devastating to, even though it had been a couple years by that point, it was still uh, devastating to hear it from a doctor. Like mm -hmm. you have just about 0% chance of getting pregnant mm -hmm. and went through options. We did have options um, where we could do in vitro. That would be our biggest chance of success mm -hmm. uh, but there was a road to go uh, down to get to that point and when we we just needed to sort of digest that news so we came away from it and even for Justin it was just facing and he has his own journey to tell but that feeling of being like not in control and seeing me so broken and mm -hmm. in some ways him being the reason for that uh, that was a tough thing right yeah. uh, and that also was something that as a couple absolutely could have torn us apart. And I'm thankful that it was sort of a defining moment that it was like, we're going to face we're together in this. This is not a him problem. Uh, this is an us issue. And, and we're in this together. And so, um, and so we just like, we're intuitive people where we just like, we're just going with how we feel. And at that moment, we felt like, um, okay, that's where it's at. And we're going to sit on it for a while and then feel out what our next steps are. Mm -hmm. And um, something did happen in me where um, I'm not saying that this is like, I can only share my journey, right? We, anybody who's even walked through infertility, everybody's got their own journey and what that looks like and what they need to do and what's right for them and them as a couple. For us, we just felt like we were to do nothing for a time. And I remember getting to a place and this was probably like a whole year later this was all set in process like it all took but it was like this um this can't define me anymore like I did live under a dark cloud for a long time mm -hmm. and it was like even if even if I never had a child I'd be okay and that wasn't an easy and it doesn't mean that's what I wanted, what I thought was going to happen. But for me personally, that was a place that I had to come to. Yeah. And it wasn't an easy place. But I can honestly say when I came to that place, it really did feel like something lifted. And it didn't mean that it didn't hurt every month that life all of a sudden became sunny and easy. But it just mean it, it didn't have the same hold on me that it once did. And, and that probably took easily three to four years to get to that point. Mm. But I but I remember that as a defining point because it, it was like it, it was still painful, but it didn't have the same, I didn't live under it the same way. And so from then we just, as a couple, we would travel together and we just really began to focus on each other. Mm. 
Um, and it didn't mean there wasn't a lot of pain and hurt there. And something turned even in Justin where he became my biggest support and comforter in those times um, where he realized he couldn't fix it and that was okay. Mm -hmm. And so I also look back and realize that was a really beautiful, strengthening part of our relationship. And so fast forward a little bit, even before we were married, we had actually talked about adopting things. It was something that we both uh, actually wanted, but we, in our looking down the 30 year plan, we thought it would be when we were older and had our own kids and they were growing and, uh, and we thought it'd be international. Like that was the kind of thought process we had. Um, But when we found out we couldn't have kids and it was kind of a, a, like, where we didn't feel like we should do anything. We didn't want to just jump into adopting. There was a, we knew there was time we needed to take to just be with each other and mm-hmm. feel out what we were supposed to do. And I remember one day um, seeing this older couple and they had about four beautiful First Nations kids around them. They looked probably to be like their grandparents' age, or like could have been their grandparents' age, but they were actually foster parents. And I looked at that and I thought, hey, like we could do that. And so I went home and talked to Justin. I said, what do you think about us being foster parents? And he was kind of like, yeah, maybe one day, like if we're supposed to, then we'll go down that road. Like, and there was no like, yes, let's do it. It was, uh, there was definitely hesitation. And I recognized like, okay, if this is the right thing, this isn't the right timing. Like he's not, you know, and that, I mean, adopting, fostering, any decisions like that, you don't want to do that if your partner isn't a hundred percent forward, right? A hundred percent, hundred percent on the same page. Exactly. And so I wait. And so it was kind of like, okay, if this is meant to be, if this is meant to happen, then it will, but it's not right now. But that was the first time fostering had ever entered into my mind. Six months later, after that, uh, this woman actually came and um, and she spoke at our church. And uh, she had, at that point, adopted 10 kids, I believe, from all over the world. And a lot of them really high special needs. And she was just sharing her life and her story. And um, it was a beautiful I mean, just on her heart for these kids, her heart for adoption, for fostering, I'd never heard anything like it. And I mean, she had a very tragic story where her her husband had been tragically killed in a car accident two years before we heard her speak. And here she had 10 kids with high needs. And that's definitely one of those life altering moments that also could have broke her as a human being. But here she was two years later, like still, you know, like, I mean, obviously had a lot of pain and hurt in her life, but had chosen to keep moving forward. And, and even since then, she's adopted a few more kids. And, and that night I was really inspired by her, but it was Justin who was very, very impacted. Mm -hmm. And he came home and he'd had this thought um, that he felt was divinely inspired, but it was sort of like this realization of, for him, it was like, how selfish are you waiting to have your own kids when you have a home and a life that could easily love (laughs) kids who don't have that? Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, yeah. And so that night, I remember it was late, it was a late night, and um, we were drifting off to bed. And he said, we need to talk in the morning what that message meant for us. And I was like, oh, okay, it meant something for us. Like, And I remember not sleeping a whole lot that night, because I just had no idea what where was, he, was what he was thinking. Doing that. Yeah. And so that morning, he said, we need to foster. And I'm like, what? And he would say now, if you asked him, he would say for him, fostering seemed much less scarier than adopting because it was like, it felt very temporary. Um, If we can't handle these kids or we don't like it, we give it back. Like that was his way of thinking, which I didn't even know at the time. We didn't know other foster parents. I mean, like we really were green to this whole world. But it just, like I said, for us, we just kind of kept responding in this journey how we felt. And this is the next step of what we felt. So we contacted the Saskatchewan, uh, I think I Googled like Saskatchewan foster parents, the site came up, Saskatchewan Foster Families Association, and it said, if you're interested in fostering, contact us, we'll send you a packet in the mail. They sent us a packet in the mail and it was like, yeah, this looks all right, this looks good. They sent somebody out to meet us to talk to us a little bit more about it and they Uh, We had a good conversation and then, um, but our families around us and like, again, we didn't know other foster parents. Mm -hmm. And so people who knew about fostering, they knew about like the 12 year old boy who burnt the neighbor's house down or like everything was really negative that we heard about it. And people cared about us. They knew that 
we had walked through years of heartache. And so fostering wasn't naturally the the easiest next step. Um, Our family, rightfully so, were protective that we were going down a road that was going to hurt us even more. Mm. And we had to, as a couple, really evaluate that. And just at the end of the day, it was sort of like, what do we feel like we're supposed to do? And we were challenged in that moment. Like we'd both been working. We had a double income. We had money. We were traveling. We were, but it was like, we want to live for more than ourselves. And if this is an opportunity that in our life, this is what it looks like to give back and to make a difference. We felt like this was what we were supposed to do. So even with all those scary stories and everything, we decided to move forward. And so uh, what that next step looked like is we did a 10 week um, pride course, it's called. Um, it's in Saskatchewan. All, all, It's out of the States, actually, but all um, foster and adoptive homes have to take this course. And it's really uh, eye-opening to the types of kids that come into care, their situations, how to manage that, what it looks like to be a foster parent, what it means. And it was during that training that we had a, now a real idea of what fostering looked like. And even in pride, I remember them telling us like, Our goal is reconciliation with families. There's no doubt about it. That is why we exist. Mm. But it doesn't always happen. And there are kids who um, who you may be in your home for one day or for forever. And Justin and I looked at each other and it was like we made a decision in that moment that it was like if kids need us for one day or they need us for a few months or they need us for forever, we're there. Like we're all in. And it was this decision of hearing about these kids and uh, what they'd been through through no decision of their own. And it was like, man, this is going to take a lot from us um, because we're going to love them like our own. We we don't want to be that foster parent. And I'm ashamed that they even exist, but feed their own birth children's steak in their foster foster kids craft dinner. Um, There was no line there for us. It was like, we are going to treat them like our own kids from day one. And uh, we know that if we put our heart on the chopping block, it's going to get chopped (laughs) because we may love them like our own from day one, but they may leave Mm -hmm. in two months or in one year. Um, But that felt like if we were able to give that to a child, it was worth it. So if you fast track, it took us three months, three to four months to get through the process, which was pretty quick. It's pretty invasive, which I'm happy about because they come into your home and you do a home study and they ask a lot of questions. They know a lot about you, but that's, I mean, that's what foster parents need that accountability. And so we just laid it all out there. And then after four months, um, we also in this process, for whatever reason, we decided to be a baby home. When we were in training, uh, we some of the training was also talking about how in that age of zero to two years old, how critical that um, time of development is for children. And it's when they're figuring out if life is safe and um, and what that looks like. And if they do not make a healthy attachment in that first two years, it actually alters the rest of their yeah, life. The and on the other end, it can. Yeah, right. And on the other side, if they can make a healthy attachment and experience that love, like it can, even if they're not with you forever, when they leave, it it also changes their life. And so we decided that we were going to be a baby home. And I was still working as, or at that time, I was actually working as a preschool teacher, but I actually felt like uh, I wanted to quit my job and do this full time. And at this point, we weren't committed to how long we were going to foster what we didn't have a time frame on it, but we went down to one income and decided that because attachment was our goal, I w- we were going to give it our all. And I mean, there's lots of great foster parents who work and do it. And that's fantastic. It was just for us. We just felt like that was the right path. So um, our very first, I mean, they call it a placement, but our very first little guy was a four month old baby boy. He'd been apprehended from birth and he uh, was with a foster parent for those first four months. But she was a more of a medical home, uh, often took in more higher needs babies, even though at that time our little guy wasn't high needs. But he um, but she had a back injury that she had a weight limit of how long she could have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so he was a big boy. And so at that four month mark, it was time to start looking for another place for him. And we came up and he was a good match. Um, you can, as a foster parent, say what age you want, what you are um, comfortable with, even medically wise, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, 
it's interesting to us to look back. One of the things we were hesitant in was to take in a child that had been exposed to alcohol. Mm-hmm and could possibly have FASD, fetal alcohol, alcohol syndrome. Um, it gets very challenging and difficult um, because that is brain damage. And so the way kids who have been exposed to alcohol, the way it affects their brains, their thinking patterns, their behaviors, it can be pretty intense. And it was something that we at that time had felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. with. We got a little guy, four month old. He at that time they thought was healthy. And um, and we didn't know. I remember like, I mean, here we are. We It's not like you have a child in your womb for nine months and then there's some preparation I mean even for us to prepare we could have had a baby anywhere from newborn to two years old so I'm trying to read as much books as I can but that's a lot of information and I remember just coming to a point of like we're gonna find out and then we're just gonna have to go for it and it was like stepping out into the deep end we have this four-month-old little boy all of a sudden who's counting on us to keep him alive and we have no idea what we're doing I was terrified and I remember I got sick Uh, also probably out of stress and different for those first two weeks so it was a rough I remember it was a rough rough transition like thankfully he did survive (laughs) he's a healthy beautiful little boy but it was challenging and both of our families are here in the city and so they were a big health and help and support we didn't know Do you feel like oh sorry Sorry, no go ahead I was gonna say you know first you were saying that your family was not as excited about the idea of fostering. And I've, I think I've heard that before, like you mm-hmm. were saying, like, they're worried about you being hurt, yeah. either directly by the child or just by the experience of yes. have, having children given to you and taken away. Right. Do you feel yeah. like once you once you made the decision and once you were starting to receive foster children, they started to be a little bit more supportive? Or do you think they had a shift at another time? No, it was, um, I mean, when they realized that our minds were made up, there was this is what we were doing it they got on board but I wouldn't say there wasn't any hesitancy um I'm gonna get a little emotional if I talk about them too I'll talk about them more in a few minutes um because it this decision actually affected all of our lives even though it was Justin and I fostering because we're close families we I I don't even like it would be polite to say we invited them into that we didn't we forced them actually in some ways what did change was that they um when they met our his name was Odin is Odin, uh, our four month old that we got. And when they met him, I mean, he's so beautiful. And, and that's when something shifted where they realized like, uh, we, mm-hmm. we understand he's worth it. Even though we couldn't, we went through a really rocky, uh, a rocky journey with him, uh, where, um, we didn't know what his path was going to be. And so, like I said, we loved him like our own and our whole family did. And that's something really beautiful to see where um, you see your parents embrace him like every other grandchild they have. Our brothers and sister-in-law embrace him like their nephew, the cousin, like, and uh, and he, he's, he was just a part of our family. And this is at a moment when we had no idea, is he staying, is he going? And in foster care, um, you there is always a time range that's given to uh at least in Saskatchewan but is given to a birth parent to be able to um clean up their life and do what they need to do to get their child back if after 18 months it hasn't been done then they start to look at more long-term and permanency planning um we didn't know if our little guy was going to go back home. He was having visits with his birth parents a couple times a week I would take him to those visits and and pick him up and um what was that like that was really difficult uh it was um because uh you know this is just a reality of fostering i mean kids can't do have a connection with their birth parents their birth parents love them there's there's absolutely no denying that but you are still the one who's raising them every day and 24 hours and it is going to depend on the birth parent and that relationship uh at that time in our little guy's life his parents weren't um super um consistent and mm-hmm. so, um, so he, it, so visits were tough. Uh, he would cry and cry and cry and clutch to me and I'd have to peel him off and place him. And I knew he'd be okay. And he'd be, but because I loved him as my own, that's, is difficult. Like, yeah. um, you know, and again, we're doing this because ultimately we want to see him 
and our kids reunified with their families. And so there's mm-hmm. your, your motives and are constantly being checked. Like there's a lot of room in fostering to be selfish, uh, but it's just not that you need to keep putting the child first and you want them to have a relationship with their birth parent. And so as much mm-hmm. as he'd cry and push, I knew it was the right thing and he'd be okay. Um, I should also just interject the reason I'm able to share as much as I am about his journey and we'll get to it more, but it's because he is a doctor. We are bound by a lot of confidentiality, but because he's now ours and his story is is part of our journey, I can speak freely about it. Um, And so anyway, so that went on for a few months, but our son's also First Nations. And so... um, the, if for our American, for yes, our American right. listeners, that's um, th- th- that's like Native American. Yeah. Yes, right. In so, Canada, yes, mm-hmm. in Canada, right. Native American, and so um, and so they uh, we also want to see if uh, at any time when a child comes into care, the ministry is always looking for family members. Um, and so for our little guy, that was also part of it. Was it was you know we're working with mom and dad to be able to get him back, but then they're also looking for family members to be able to take him in whether that's for a short amount of time or ends up being forever and so specifically are they looking for first nation parent family members yeah Yeah. that's what it's like in the states as well yeah Mm -hmm. they are and so um and so i remember in that time i think it was pretty quiet for about his first year where um we knew he wasn't going to be going home immediately and then there was no family members at that point, but at one years old, family members did come forward. And I remember them, the worker coming to our house and saying, we found a family member. Um, we're just getting the paperwork and everything in order. He's going to go out and live on the reserve and be with his uh, family. And as much as that is, you know, what, what we would have wanted to see with that, he'd have that family connection. I mean, we'd still loved him and raised him since he was four months old. And so here was the first time we were really faced with loss and we did love him like our own. When every time we take in a new child, um, love is much more than an emotion, right? It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And we choose to love these kids. And so we do what love needs in that moment, whether it's getting up with a screaming baby all hours of the night, it's comfort, it's, you know, that's what love looks like. But eventually those emotions catch up. And so by that point, we were head over heels in love with him. But we knew he wasn't ours. And so um, we had to face the reality that he was going to be going to family. And so, uh, but um, we kept waiting. And it was like, we're waiting to hear from, um, because they were working with another agency on the reserve about the family member. And um, four months go by, four months. And we think in that time, but there's no visitations with family. There's nothing. And and in fact, you kind of forget about it. We know it's likely going to happen, but we hear nothing. And then after four months, we find out that it fell through. And not only did it fall through, it actually fell through way back a week after we heard about it. There was just miscommunication Hmm. make that final call so it was like okay all right so now we're back into square one and then two months later more family came forward and we waited another three months and that fell through and that is just kind of the life of fostering is that the plan changes constantly there's a big lack of control and you kind of just really have to learn to live day at a time and that's what we do with our kids it's like today you're here and I love you today and I mean we love them forever but love in action right like it's we treat you like you're you're staying uh, today and or forever but it's just today so anyways um then at 18 months though family kept not working out and um they were going to start to go uh, looking for a permanent plan for Odin. And when a child goes permanent, that's at that point where um, parental rights are uh, terminated. And if they go permanent, then um, they can be adopted. So that was the Mm. direction that they were looking at for Odin. He was almost two years old and more family came forward. And this family, uh, this family did, um, come through and they were healthy and we met them and they were wonderful they were a really amazing couple uh they were a bit older they had grown children their own they had two other um foster kids in their home 
that were long-term going to be with them forever. And, uh, but as, but we were also heartbroken because Odin was almost two. So we'd raised him for almost from the beginning. And like I said, he, I don't know how to explain it until you've adopted yourself or gone through that. But I mean, he really was our son. Like there was no, if he, I couldn't have loved him more if he came from my own body. That's the truth. So that, uh, so as much as we were in support, if this is the right thing, He's going to have family connection. Uh, we, it hurt. I can't tell you how much it hurt, but we were willing to support it. But we also didn't want to just like drop him off and that was the end. Um, because we loved him, we wanted to be really involved in the process. And so we met the family. We had them in our home. It was a slower transition um, because Odin was very attached. I should mm-hmm. also say in this point that um, that Odin had um, at eight months old started to show signs of um, some developmental delays. And so um, there started to be some question, even though we didn't have children of our own, we didn't know necessarily what healthy development looked like, but there was just some question marks about Odin um, that started to concern us a bit. And so uh, we had been meeting with a pediatrician and she was like, yeah, he should be sitting up or he should have been crawling. Let's get him into a physiotherapist. And it turned out he never crawled. He was a bum scooter. But kind of at that point on in every area, whether it was fine motor skills, gross motor skills, speech, he had showed delay. So um, that was part of at that time, I had quit my job. And I'm really thankful that I had because we had a lot of therapy appointments and things in the week um, Mm -hmm. just to have him thrive to the best of his ability. So here we didn't realize that we were taking in a child that was going to have needs and that can happen in foster care. I mean, especially dealing with babies, you never know what's going to arise. And so for Odin, it ended up actually needing a a lot of extra attention, um, but we were committed to him and he was doing really well. But his brain, the way it thinks, even to this day, doesn't doesn't do well with change. And so um, him moving to another family wasn't a little thing. So we met with the family, we'd have them in our home. And I remember the day came when uh, we had to drop him off for a three day visit. This was like the first real three day visit um, where he was going to be overnight and they lived an hour away. So we drove him and he didn't really have an idea of what was going on, but yeah, how old is he at this point? He was just about two. Yeah. He was like a month away from turning two. And, um, and that, um, those three days were, were hard. I had three harder, which I'll tell you about in a minute that were harder than those three days, but those three days were hard. Um, it was part of realizing we needed to let him go. It was at that moment, our family too. Um, to be honest, up until that point, we kept hoping like it might fall through if it's not the right thing. But if it's the right thing, we love him enough to let him go. We support this plan. Uh, we want what's best for him. And um, and our family was on board too. And this was the exact pain and heartache they were trying to protect us from. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, they too realized like... Uh, you can protect, but there's this beautiful little boy that uh, we are all better because he was in our life. Yeah. And as much as this pain feels excruciating, he was worth it. Mm-hmm. He was. And you can't really explain that until you're in it. And that's what I even say to up and coming foster parents is like, you're going to feel it. You are. Uh, If you make this decision, there's a lot of loss involved in it. Um, But these kids, they are worth it. They are. It's not a life I could do forever. It's not. (laughs) Um, But each kid matters and will give them everything. And it's like my heart in that moment was shattered, uh, but I gave him all the pieces. Mm-hmm. And before me was a beautiful, amazing little boy. And I didn't know what his life was going to look like from now on, right? I didn't. I had to let him go. But I do know that I was proud of the last two years we were with him <laughs> and able to give him. And so we picked him up after that first three-day visit. And, um, and this is where it gets a little complicated. I won't go so much into detail. But um, the family at that point had decided um, that he was maybe too much for them to handle. 
So they were going to back out. And so we thought, wow. Um, But then they decided that that wasn't what they wanted. And then they decided they were going to take him. Um, But there were just some red flags that this place. what a roller coaster. Yeah, you bet. Um, That this placement was ultimately going to work out. It was the first time where all of a sudden we felt like this wasn't in his best interest. But here we are, these new foster parents. I mean, we'd been fostering almost two years, but he was our first placement. We also had decided that... Um, there were a lot of kids that needed homes, but we we also didn't um, want to take on more than we could handle. And mm-hmm. so we did just take on one at a time. And um, because fostering wasn't our whole life, we were involved in a lot of things and we just um, and it wasn't at that time to take in a whole bunch. And so we just had him. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyways, uh, it was a roller coaster because then they said, no, we are going to take him in, but it's just the motives and things became a little more clear. And we were uncomfortable that this was going to work out. And really for Odin, we knew what it took to raise him and we wanted Mm -hmm. to see him. You're the only ones that know. Exactly. So now you switch gear from parent to advocate. And I mean, parents are their children's advocates all the time, but it was time to like, do this but we didn't know what we (laughs) what to do we had some experienced foster parent friends that I'm very thankful for that began to say okay these are the steps you need to do there was the Saskatchewan Foster Family Association and it exists to support and advocate for foster parents and so um, there was support there to uh, help us begin to voice what we felt was in Odin's best interest and um, call even um, in uh, Native American I don't know if it's the same in Native American culture but in first nations culture um we do things called a talking circle when we need some clarity of reconciliation or when there's conflict that's sort of how we handled it we called a talking circle so that everybody could just talk about what was in odin's best interest did some things mm-hmm. like that the minute did this include the family that he was going to be with yeah. and other family members um, as well no it was supposed to in the end they didn't end up coming so mm-hmm. what it did include though were the managers and supervisors that were ultimately making the decision and that was an important piece that they came because they needed to really hear Mm -hmm. (laughs) from us and what the situation was looking like what they had decided to do was slow down the process a bit and um and for Odin and for this family they needed a bit more time with Odin to really make sure that they could this is what they wanted and so Odin had to go for another week this is after that three-day visit that we weren't you know, that didn't go the greatest. And so now we were supposed to drop him off for a whole week. That was very difficult. And we did. And I'll tell you, we pulled up to their walkway. And the first time was a couple weeks before this. And again, he didn't really know what we were that he was going to be staying this time he knew and he freaked. I mean, he freaked out and he was screaming and clung. He would not let go. I had to leave. Um, Justin was holding him and I, and the family was trying to take him and I like, I couldn't handle it. Uh, That was like my, my breaking point. So I began to walk away and Justin had to like physically, like force him um and this family was an amazing family this is nothing to do with this couple they were amazing this is just what this journey looked like in with Odin and how he responded and I just remember walking down their walkway and hearing him screaming while he banged on their front window for mama and that was uh, probably one of the hardest moments of my life even though I now know how this journey ended it's still going back to this place that was devastating um but I had to trust that he was going to be okay and I knew he was safe it wasn't about that uh but that this was the right thing for him so we walked away those three days we waited three days to call we we had to and um those were the hardest three days of my life I don't think Mm -hmm. I slept we barely ate I mean here's a little boy that you're used to being in your life constantly and then he's just gone right and it's not like he's passed away but he's somewhere else (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so on day three I called to find out how he was doing and there were just some things in that phone call that I mean this is just part of being intuitive but it just didn't feel right um I pushed a bit more and it had turned out that he had not eaten in three days he refused to eat or drink for three days and by that third day he'd been throwing up the whole day and wouldn't quit crying wow and uh and I wanted to get in the car 
and go pick them up. And I, in that moment, yeah, they did. It took some pushing. Yeah, Yeah, it took some pushing, but I just felt like something wasn't right. So I Mm -hmm. kept pushing and that's what um, came out eventually. And, and I knew that um, for this to really affect the decision of what was going to happen to Odin, I had to let the family make the decision of what to happen, what was going to happen. And that was very hard. Cause like I said, I just wanted to jump in there and pick him up. So he was sleeping when I had called that for the night. And they said, we'll call you in the morning and let you know if you need to come pick him up. Mm-hmm. So that night we did not sleep and we waited and they called in the morning and they decided to let us come pick him up and mm-hmm. take him to the doctor. And I remember going in there and, and going to pick him up and he was like a zombie. He was so shut down, like glass over his eyes. He didn't smile. He didn't react to us hardly. Like it was heartbreaking. And so I take him in the car at this point. I think he's sick. Like he has to have the flu. He must have, but we get in the car. So they're about an hour away from us. And in about 20 minutes, he begins to pick up like his, you know, he's starting to babble. He's starting to come. And I had packed snacks in my car. He ate everything in sight, like (laughs) everything. And by the time we got home, he walked into our home and he just ran, just ran around the living room, ran and he was playing and he was, and I'm like, and I'd already booked a a appointment that day with our family doctor who knew Odin. And I'm like, what is going on? Like he is fine. Yeah. Take him to the doctor and, and, um, and she diagnosed him with a traumatic stress disorder in that moment that that was his way of dealing uh, with this situation. And, um, and so with that, and in the end, um, that family also would have to come in for all of his appointments every week. That's in the end, it just was not the right fit for him. So after all of that, it fell through. We do as much as we think that family is amazing. And and we actually still hope to this day they will be in his life at some point Mm -hmm. as they would like to be. We certainly left that door open. Uh, We'd love to see healthy family connections for him. Absolutely, we would. Uh, But as far as living with them, um, that just wasn't the right thing. And so right after that, uh, his situation went to court and the judge granted him permanency, which meant that he was then adoptable. And obviously, uh, they could see how attached he was and doing really well and so uh we we were chosen to adopt him had you guys been talking about that all along um no not until i mean after like when um because like, we really like i mean you, it was such a roller coaster we really didn't know what was going to happen i remember at some point talking about hey if he ever went permanent we would love to adopt him and we'd already made that decision even in training like if it was possible in any child went permanent while they were in our home and we had a t- and we had built an attachment with them and all that we'd always we would love to adopt them yeah. um it does work different in saskatchewan than it does in the states it is very difficult for foster parents to adopt mm-hmm. um it does happen uh but it is not easy and because odin had needs and because we were committed to that that is ultimately what um why we were able to adopt him There wasn't family members in the end that were up for his needs. He wouldn't have, I mean, he was one of those kids that probably looked really scary on paper, but he's, he's an amazing, beautiful little boy. (laughs) Like you guys are his parents. You're used to, yeah, you're used to living with him. You're used to taking care of him. And so the judge just could see that. And that was how the decision was made. Yes. And so, but by the time that was all said and done, he was three and a half years old. So he's actually only been adopted for a year and a half. Um, even though we had him since he was four months old, but when he was three and a half, it finally got finalized. Um, what's a little scary is that it could have fallen through right up until that the day mm-hmm. the judge signed off. Um, and because um, they are always still looking for family, um, we are not First Nations. And so the mandate is that that is the first priority for children if they cannot be with birth parents. And so right up until those papers are signed, uh, we could have lost him, but yeah. we didn't. And so I'll tell you the day of relief when those papers were signed I can't even tell you um well I remember seeing your your post on Facebook I don't know if it was that day but you know at the time that the adoption was final and I I remember all the years of you you (laughs) posting these like really vague updates yeah you know pictures where you can see his face and and all of a sudden it was like this is our son and yeah I I I personally was just so blown away by that 
Well, and it's such a funny thing because we are, especially on social media, we have lots of friends that don't live here. Mm -hmm. But I mean, our kids are such a big part of our life, but out of protection and confidentiality, like, I mean, it's true, we get creative on how we can show them, um, but it's not their face and it's not any identifying information. And so it's like, here we raised him, his basically his whole life, but people really couldn't see him until he was three and a half and we did a big mm -hmm. celebration and, um, you know, and so, and I mean, that's sad, but at the same time, what's beautiful is we have the videos of the first time he walked, him saying his first words, like uh, for Odin, he does not know any other life. We are mom and dad. And in saying that we celebrate adoption in our home. I mean, we're, we're a different color. Uh, he's going to figure it out. So there's no point. And it's not something to hide. In our opinion, it's just a healthy discussion. And we also honor his birth parents. He doesn't see them right now. But uh, but he we do have contact with them. Mm -hmm. And um, and so he knows he has a tummy mummy and a daddy who made him who love him very much. Mm -hmm. And so as he gets older and things will walk through what that relationship looks like yeah. um but yeah but as far as him he's very secure in his life right now and and he's doing really well he starts kindergarten in the fall and so we it was actually uh he was three years old before we decided to take in another child um when he by the time he was three his situation even though there was still a slight chance it could fall through it was pretty secure and we just felt like okay i think even though that was a very emotional couple years <laughs> uh, we just felt like it was time to push ourselves out of the comfort zone again so we took in a little girl who uh, we only ended up having for one week she, her, she was gorgeous she was four months old and we loved her for that week and then um, they did find family for her and her brother and so she left and it's crazy um, that but even after one week it was tough to say goodbye yeah and we don't forget her we don't. Uh, we still gave her a part of our heart, uh, and um, and so it, that's just the impact these kids have on us. And um, and then a couple, two months after that, then or a month and a half, we took in a nine-month-old little boy. Um, that's a whole other journey. He came from a pretty severe situation, and so that was our first encounter with trauma, mm -hmm. um, even at nine months old, and that, those first two months of having him were some of the hardest of my life. Um, they were very challenging. Um, he was a fighter, which was beautiful, because really that's what saved his life, but we were the first healthy family he'd ever encountered and so he fought that because it wasn't what he knew and so um it was like retraining him and having to love him through that and that's where love is not an emotion because he was not an easy baby to bond with mm -hmm. and he would be up screaming and physically resisting us for hours every night and I remember in my head my mantra was I choose to love you I choose to love you I choose yeah. to love you like it was because it did it took a lot out of us but what was incredible so incredible was to see even after two months that shift in that mm -hmm. little boy and um and then that's when it was like okay that was worth it that was so hard but look like he's gonna make it and um and so he was with us for just over four months and then he ended up going to a family friend we still see him actually uh for play visits every few months um he's doing really well um and, uh, and so that was for us, uh, you know, again, we, um, we would, we want to see kids reconciled uh, with their birth parents. And we do give it our all even in relationship with birth parents and things we want to see that mm -hmm. successful. Um, it just doesn't always happen. And um, I'll be honest with you, we've had five kids and we haven't had any five of them go home up until this point. Um, mm -hmm. There are many that do. It's just this is our journey and that's been our experience. But we've built some good relationships with birth parents. And so when our little nine month old had him for four months, he left. And two months after that, we um, decided to do it again. 
And we got a call for a newborn little boy. Um, and um, he, we took him in. He was our first newborn. So even though we had Odin at four months uh, old, we had never had a newborn right from yeah. the hospital. He wasn't even two days old and, wow. um, and took him in. And he was healthy, um, except that he developed severe colic. Mm-hmm. severe and and he would cry like eight to ten hours every day uh for three and a half months oh. and that i'll tell you i it's like i've blocked <laughs> it out of my mind because yeah. it was so hard yeah. it was so hard and it's the same thing where it's hard to bond with a baby um when that's what life looks like Mm -hmm. but at the same time again we just loved him like he was our own so we held on did a lot of baby wearing did a lot and you know we still had odin during all this he was a, a trooper and um and when our little guy was four months old, he had been two weeks colic free. And um, just for confidentiality. There, did, was there like a, like a secret to that that you can share with our <laughs> listeners? <laughs> I, I wish. I do not. I literally, I remember he'd had colic for two weeks and we didn't know what it was. I thought he was dying. I'm not kidding. And we took him into the pediatrician and I'm like, what is wrong what happened what did we do <laughs> and and this pediatrician her her son had severe colic so she recognized it right away and she said don't worry at three months three and a half months uh it'll it'll break it'll go and I'm like are you kidding me I have like two <laughs> and a half nice. months right? like it was the worst thing you could ever tell me oh, I'm sure and, <laughs> right and uh and but she was right it is honestly like one at three and a half months somebody replaced him in the middle of the night I don't know what happened uh <laughs> but he quit crying and all of a sudden he was this pleasant very content little baby and I didn't even know what to do (laughs) but it was it worked out uh because uh, two weeks after that um we found out some information that um i can't go too much into but it does have to do with odin and uh there was a little girl that was born um that we felt pretty compelled to take her in Mm -hmm. and so we did even though we had a four-month-old and a four-year-old and or a three-and-a-half-year-old I guess he wasn't even quite four yeah and uh and so all of a sudden it was like we had twins we literally went from two kids to three in four months or actually like one kid to three in four months that's crazy and uh, and so that's not what I would recommend in life. Usually, that's why nature does it is a little friendlier to us. Um, but we did it because there was no doubt in our mind it was the right thing. And so I remember before we found out about this beautiful little girl a week before she was born, and um, and uh, we talked about we were like, can we can we really do this? Like honestly, and uh, we just decided that uh, we didn't want to make a decision based on a season of life. But we wanted to look 20 years down the road and be able to look back and think what would be the right decision. Mm -hmm. And that was taking in this little girl. And so we did. And uh, and and the last so that was a year and a half ago. Uh, 15 months ago and um, my life has been a blur since that day Uh, we still have both Um, actually our our little guy who was born first in September um, he we thought he was going home Uh, that is not um, how his journey has gone and uh, he also did end up going permanent Uh, we built a very close relationship with his birth family they actually uh, come into our home uh, regularly. And they're in many ways, a part of a big part of his life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so he went permanent and we uh, did not know what was going to happen. Uh, we definitely thought that he would, um, be being adopted, uh, out or we knew he would be, but by another family. Uh, but there are just reasons why we really felt like the best place was for him to stay with us. And so did his, um, birth family. And Mm -hmm. so it's, we put on our advocate hat again, very hard and uh, fought for what we felt was in the best interest. It can kids can get lost in a system that's based sure. on policies and yeah. politics, even though it exists to be 
in the children's best interest. There are times when the opposite can happen. And so part of fostering is to do everything we can to have that not happen. And mm-hmm. so we did. And we just found out a week ago that um, at this point, we have been chosen uh, to be our little guy's adoptive home. Wow. Um, and so that was a huge news of uh, huge news. So we've only known that for a week. Wow. The plan could change. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a couple years for it to finalize. But at this point, uh, that is the plan is that we are going to be his forever home. Um, he too, because we've raised him from birth, knows no difference. He is, this is his home and, um, and he's an amazing little boy. And so, so he's not going anywhere. And then our little girl who's 15 months old, her future remains uncertain. And so that's just day at a time. Um, do we, so we will at this point have be adopting two and we are still fostering our beautiful little girl and we'll see. But again, the future is uncertain and fostering as it always has. But if you would have asked me again, 20 years ago, if, if this is what life would look like, I, I would never have seen it coming um and we often say it's the hardest like even fostering and then i mean two at this point are ending in adoption but it's like even odin's journey and um our little girls is actually going identical to odin's uh it um it it there our fostering is the hardest hardest thing we've ever done but it is um the most amazing and the most fulfilling and um and i wouldn't trade it i really wouldn't um it doesn't mean that infertility like it led us to this journey um but we could have done it even if we had our own kids or if we still have our own kids like it doesn't replace that it just altered our perspective and led us a different way that I don't think we would have seen as soon at least if we would have had our own kids and um and so I could not love our kids more than I do they are beautiful gifts and so even though our family looks unconventional and um I mean I am as pale as the white sand and so when my beautiful kids are very dark and brown I mean we get all kinds of stares when we're out in public um but nonetheless they're my kids and I love them and that's just kind of what our life looks like the big question people ask are are we done Mm. Uh, I I don't even pretend to uh, make a five-year plan anymore. I think that's just what life looks like. Um, I'll tell, I mean, I'll be honest with you. We are absolutely done for now. Um, We are at capacity. We always want to make sure that we can be there for our kids like they need us to. So even though our hearts bleed uh, for the kids who don't have homes right now, we have to protect the kids we do have. Um, In saying that, we're only 30. Uh, We have a lot of life to live. So do I feel like that door is shut forever? At this point, I don't. I'm, I'm still really passionate about fostering. Um, I want to see a family reconciled. Uh, That's my heart. And so um, it's not right now. Um, It all looks a bit different. But, um, but, you know, I don't know, in five years or 10 years, we might even take in teenagers one day. I don't know. That sounds crazy. (laughs) Right? Exactly. It's just day, day at a time. And so for right now, we'll stick to our five year old and two one year olds and seize the day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, one thing we like to ask um, guests on the show is when you feel like you became a mother. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely when we got Odin at four months old that first day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because I was terrified, I think that really fits the bill for every first mother Mm -hmm. and their first day of motherhood. So I think when I look back, even though we didn't know um, if we were going to have him forever, definitely that was a a, a day where where I feel like I became a mother. Yeah, it's, you know, I think the more, you know, what we would consider the more conventional motherhood story where, you know, you have your own children is, is in so many ways, you know, there, there are so many differences, but in so many ways, it's, you, you, it's simpler. You just take out this whole equation that you've just described to us of like the roller coaster of, is this child going to be mine? You know, and, and they are yours. And, and so you, you live in this like, crazy dichotomy uh, between like your your reality and your intention and and what you like want and and are experiencing with this child and yet knowing that this whole other reality exists right for them and for you know for your life and for your future and it's I, I can't even imagine walking that road it's it's such a gift to you know to have that 
that um that passion and that I think calling that you have to do that. So, you know, mm. I guess I would just say thank you because yeah. you're you're what you've described is so true. There are so many children that that don't have, you know, what you know what we w- would want them to have. Right. And and like and also like you've described, you know, the the goals that they would that they would experience reconciliation and and in many cases reunification with their families. Yeah. Whether that's possible or not, like yeah. your ability to provide them with this loving and stable environment and for that opportunity of attachment like you described in the first couple of years is that's a that's an irreplaceable gift and and just so incredible. Yeah, no, thank you. And that's how we see it. Like I there's not I mean if you would like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I never thought it would look mm-hmm. like this and in a lot of ways my life is very humble. <laughs> like it really is. It's just full of diapers and tantrums and but I feel completely fulfilled. And I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest. I'll be a mother for the rest of my life. But what that looks like, I couldn't be a mother of babies for the rest of my life. That I know. But um, they... None of us can. Right? Nobody can. No human on earth. Absolutely. Uh, That's why they grow up. Yeah, that's why they grow up. Um, But I'm so proud of my kids. And... Um, and I do like, even in, uh, the cycle, I mean, all their parents, all of them grew up in the system. And I just am believing that our kids will be ones that break that cycle. Um, mm. we are raising and believing, uh, for healthy adults. And I mean, they're going to have their own journeys to walk in their own decisions, but I just like, I'm okay to pour everything I am into those kids. And if I never do great things beyond that, like they're going to do great things. And that like, just is worth it to me. Yeah. Which I think is the hope of every mother. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing that you've just shared is that your heart is the same as every mother's. Yeah. Like these kids, they, they came to you by a different path and your your love for them and what you want for them and their future is the same as what I want for my kids. Totally. So that's brings that to light really beautifully. Cool. Well, Megan, thank you so much for, for sharing sure. your story with us. It was like we've been saying in the last couple episodes, like, why don't we have tissues yeah. in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks for having me, you guys. It was a real honor and appreciate it. Always, uh, you know, like you said, motherhood has looked different, but um, but we're, I loved the journey regardless. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing with, sharing with everybody that's listening to just a kind of different journey that also inspires people who might be considering these options yeah that you can have space in your heart and in your life for these kids yeah absolutely thank you yeah thanks for listening to mother birth today if you want to be a bigger part of our community you can follow us on instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on facebook where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on also don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in itunes which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.